Hey, this is Pastor Dave Leeds. So I am so sorry I missed your call, but that's okay. I'll call you back. Well, maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> Leave me a message and I'll see what I can do. How many have actually got that voicemail? Raise your hand. How many are used to calling me and getting that voicemail? Raise your hand. Yeah, there's a reason. <laughs> oh, I hate the sound of a voicemail. It's like, why don't you just pick up? Or the ones that think they're cute? And they'll go, hello? Hello? And you're like, yeah, I'm uh, And my sister used to do that. She had a voicemail and she'd go, hello? And I said, Christine, hello? Just kidding. Leave a message. Ah, oh, there's so many things I wanted to leave in that message. But I was angry because I wanted to talk to her. There's some people in here, you get angry because there's folks you try to get a hold of and you can't get a hold of them. And it goes to voicemail and it frustrates you. But if you found yourself missing a phone call, it's frustrating too. Especially if it's an important phone call, right? If it's somebody that you really needed to talk to and you missed the call. Even if it goes to voicemail, it bothers you because you didn't talk to that person. You just got the voicemail. To miss an important call in life is not a good thing. It's a horrible thing. Especially if it's uh, an interview or a boss or your wife, right? How many can uh, testify to that? Raise your hand. No? Cowards? You know it's awful to miss a call from your wife when she's trying to get a hold of you over and over and over again. How about your kids? You know, they have it glued to their hand, right? And you're thinking to yourself, I know that phone is in your hand. I know it is. Yeah. But you're not answering, and it's frustrating. But it is frustrating to lose the opportunity to connect with an important person that's trying to get a hold of you. To miss an important call is bad, but it's devastating to miss a call from God. That is the most devastating call to miss. In order to answer a call, there must be a caller and a callee. It's deep stuff, right? <laughs> this is what happens when Dave preaches. We get deep. Calling assumes a caller. Woo. Somebody's on the other side trying to get a hold of you. He's ringing your phone or she's ringing your phone to get you to pick up. And the fact is, we experience this daily with God. He's ringing our phone. He's trying to get a hold of us. God is the caller and we're the callees. But there's a problem. We tend not to answer. We hold back. Millennials do not like answering their phone. Gen Z does not like answering the phone. I got an amen over here. Because you know it's true. If you're joining us by way of Facebook, if you're a Gen Z or you're a millennial, you don't like answering the phone. I'm confronting you. You know why they don't like answering the phone? I've read multiple reasons they don't like answering the phone. I just talked to my kids. Because they misunderstand sometimes who's calling. You know, they, they, they get that caller idea and they're like, hmm, is this a scammer? And we're, we're guilty of that too. Is this a scammer? I don't recognize this number. I don't know if I want to answer this because... You know, it could be a telemarketer. How many do not like telemarketers? The rest of you are liars. You know, another reason we don't like to answer our phone, we don't like interruptions. We have a schedule to keep to. We have things we got to do. Don't be calling me. I, when I worked at, on VBS stage, I said this on the first service, um, people would call at the worst time. That's why I work, I, I, I'm most productive from 10 to 3 in the morning. Nobody calls my phone. 
Well, kind of. <laughs> there was one time. If you get a call in the middle of the night, like two or three in the morning, it's either dumb or bad. Most cases, it's dumb for me. One night, three o'clock in the morning, <clears throat> I got a call from Dave Everly. How many know Dave Everly? Don't be ashamed. Three o'clock in the morning because he works third shift. He wasn't even thinking. He called me and I thought, oh goodness, something bad must have happened. No, it was just Dave being Dave. <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning. You know what he said? Hey, Dave, first he's surprised I'm asleep. He's not thinking because he's working. Dave, it's like my wife dropped her cell phone in the parking lot. Who cares, Dave? <laughs> I don't care. He said, do you mind? You ready for this? Do you mind? Going over to the church, walk in the parking lot. It's 3 o'clock in the morning and it's raining outside. Because I'm a good friend and dumb, I did. I'll never forget that. Why did I do that? Because he's my friend. I answered the call and I needed to follow through with it. But not everybody answers the call, even if it's a ridiculous call. We, we don't like interruptions. Oh, man. I, you ever get that phone call and you know who's calling and you see it on the caller ID? Kim? Come on now. And you think, oh, this is going to take a little time. And they say, just, just give me 60 seconds. Right, Kim? Testify, sister. 60 seconds, Dave. 60. You wouldn't believe what, this is a text. You wouldn't believe what's going on. You just got to hear it. 60 seconds? You mean 60 minutes? Come on now. How many know what I'm talking about? Oh, let's just be transparent. We don't have time to talk. We're busy. Lives are busy. We got things going on. We don't want to stop what we're doing. But let me tell you something. If you don't stop what you're doing to answer the call from God, you're going to miss out on an opportunity. When it comes to the calling of God, we tend to react the same way as millennials and Gen Z. And if you do, you might miss an opportunity that you'll never get again. Sometimes we, we, we tend to think the way Samuel did in 1 Samuel chapter 3. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, we see the young boy Samuel. He's living at the tabernacle. His wife dropped, his wife, his mom dropped him off at the, to be trained under Eli. And during that training, he would stay there under the training of the high priest. And one night, he got a call in the middle of the night. But it wasn't like Dave Everly's call. And Samuel heard this voice call out to him in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 4. The Bible says that the Lord called Samuel and he answered him, here am I. But he thought it was Eli. So he gets up and he runs to Eli and he says, Eli, here am I, here am I. And Eli goes, what are you doing? Go back to bed. I didn't call you. He goes back to bed and then gets a call again from God in the middle of the night. And he gets back up and he goes to Eli, 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 did you call me? And the high priest says, go to bed. <sighs> what is it about kids in the middle of the night when they're really little and they want to drink of water at the worst times? You're like, go to bed. So the frustration starts to set in for the high priest. Finally, Eli does it again and the high priest says, wait, 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 wait. There's a misunderstanding here. It's not me calling you. You're missing the call. It's God. So next time he calls, just answer simply, here am I. Thy servant heareth. I'm listening. So he goes back to bed. And so 
we see this count in verse 10 that Samuel said, Speak, for thy servant heareth. I'm listening. He misunderstood in the beginning what the call was about, just like we often do. Probably a piece of him wanted to just go back to sleep and say, forget it, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to mess with this. But because of that young man answering the call of God in the middle of the night, he changed Israel. He learned to recognize the voice of the Lord and listen, and Samuel was an instrument. He was instrumental in establishing the monarchy. He was the key to so many wonderful things that took place for the children of Israel. He was a priest and a judge and a prophet. Why? Because he answered the call. He didn't bypass the call. He didn't decline the call. He answered the call. So obviously this morning, I'm going to talk to you about answering the call. I don't want you to miss it this month, the month of missions. I want you to be able to know what the call is about and answer it and not bypass it. I want to help you this morning to answer the call because I believe if we don't answer the call, you may never get a chance to get a call from God again in this specific area. So here we are, shifting gears and focusing on a man by the name of Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. How many know who I'm talking about? Yes, one of my favorite characters of the Bible. And so we're in Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, we see this infamous account of Saul on the road to Damascus. And the reason he's on the road to Damascus, according to Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, he's been issued to go out and capture these believers, if you would, those that are followers of Jesus, those that are declaring that Jesus was the Messiah, that he lived, he died, and he rose again. They're fanatics, they're weirdos, they're crazy people. And they're spreading uh, discord and they're spreading uh, lies, as the high priest would say. This is a problem. And you know what? I mean, there was problems in the past and they were afraid it was going to be the same type of problem. I mean, children of Israel tended to worship false idols and false gods and, 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 and tended to go in a direction that was contrary to what the writings of Scripture said. So Saul, who eventually becomes Paul, thought he was doing a good thing. And so he went out, according to Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, and he was breathing, as the Bible refers to it, as threatenings and slaughtering against whatever the disciples put in place, whatever was established, he was going contrary to it. He was killing the people, slaughtering the people. He was destroying the small churches that were meeting together. He was capturing the people and taking them to Jerusalem for, for questioning and imprisonment and sometimes even death. This is the man we're talking about. And but something happened in this particular situation. When he was on the road to Damascus, everything changed. And so what changed for him started with a call. And the call he got is the same call we have, okay? So everybody with me? I'm a very simplistic preacher. You should be able to stay with me. I'm so easy. Really? He said amen three times. I don't think it was necessary. The high priest is mandated to seek out and arrest the followers of Jesus. And so here goes Saul. And on that road to Damascus, there was the call. So Acts chapter 9 and verse 3, I want to draw your attention. And as you get to that location, I want you to understand what 2 Timothy 3, 5 says. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's some that have an understanding of God. And they never come to know him. There is a difference between having a head knowledge of God 
and a heart knowledge of the truth. And in order for us to know God, there must be an encounter with God. So the first call that Paul got was a call to know God, not just within mind, but with his heart. And that brought an encounter. Saul had an encounter with Jesus in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. Jesus showed up. To know God requires an encounter with Jesus. I know that seems simple. In order to have a true encounter, there must be a defining moment. A moment that shines light into your darkness. A moment that overcomes all of the evil that you have fought for your entire life. A moment that opens the door to that closet and pulls out those skeletons and helps you purge your life. It shines light in the darkness of the deepest, darkest locations of your life. Psalms 27 verse 1 says it this way, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The call to know God is an encounter with Jesus, and that encounter shines light in the darkness and brings a salvation. If you say this morning, and I hear this all the time, if you say you've always known Jesus, then you've got something going definitely wrong in your life. You're missing something, okay? You haven't always known Jesus. Have you ever met somebody like that? You're trying to give them the gospel and say, I've been a Christian all my life. I've always known Jesus. Always. No, it don't work that way. And what you're missing is a defining moment where Jesus showed up in your life and had an encounter with him. A God moment that is undeniable and unforgettable. Have you ever had an undeniable, unforgettable encounter in your life? Yes. The rest of you know? Okay. <laughs> I had one about 20 years ago. My wife's in the balcony. I came here, <clears throat> right? And I was speaking for Tony, who was the youth pastor at the time. I never go north, never pass that Mason-Dixon line. I love the south. I love growing up in Alabama. And then Tony said, why don't you come up here and speak for me? And I thought to myself, I'll do that. I'm interested to meet these folks they call Yankees, I would love to come and speak. And listen, growing up, I always said to myself, and to others probably, I'll never marry a Yankee girl. A northern girl, nah, nah. Those girls are strong-willed girls. I want a southern girl in my life. But all that changed because I had an encounter. What happened is, I spoke on a Sunday, and I was in the youth department, and this girl comes in, and she caught my attention. I thought, my, maybe I can compromise on this whole north-south thing, right? <laughs> These northern girls aren't bad looking. And I met her, and at first sight, she, fall in, she fell in love with me. Nine months later, we got married, and I married a Yankee girl. You know Why? Because I had an encounter with her that changed my life. A defining moment I'll never forget. But Jesus is so much bigger than that. And for us to go through life and act as if you don't have a true encounter with God that doesn't matter, then you've missed something. Because to answer the call to know God is an issue of the heart, not the mind. And because of that, it's a true encounter with Jesus. And when you have that true encounter with Jesus, it is unforgettable. It is a fulfillment that nobody else can bring. It's an abundant life that you now have, and it changes everything. 
When you have an encounter with Jesus, it also confronts some things in your life. It confronts the sin. Saul's encounter with Jesus confronted his sinful condition. You see this in Acts chapter 9 and verse 4. Saul was confronted by Jesus. In verse 4, the Bible says, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, very direct, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. An encounter with Jesus confronts the sinful condition of mankind. This is a call that that is considered conviction or interpreted conviction. The conviction of sin. This is that moment in your life that you see yourself for who you are. And it's contrary to who Jesus is. It's an understanding that I am a sinner in need of a savior, as simplistic as that is, and my sin has separated me from God. That's what sin does. And that encounter brings a confronting of my sin, a clarity of who I am. The Bible says it this way, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there has to be a confronting of the sin. It's coming to an undeniable understanding in your life of your sinful condition and repenting of it. We leave out repentance when it comes to salvation. Repentance is turning from your sin to God. It's not lordship salvation. It's not a work salvation. I believe you grow and develop in your relationship with Christ. That's called sanctification. But when you give your life to Jesus, you're choosing no longer to go your way, but God's way. Our rebellious spirit says, I want it my way, my way, my way. And that's why the Bible refers to kicking against the pricks. What is that? A farmer would take a sharp item and prod the mule and say, go, move. Get in the gate. And the mule would go, I don't know what they sound like. That's just made that up. Very realistic. And it would rebel against the farmer. And Jesus says, hey, what are you doing, Saul? You're persecuting me. You're you're going against everything I'm trying to do to help. You're like a mule. You're bone against. You're in rebellion. But you're not going to win. And he was confronted in this encounter with Jesus. And because of this, everything changed. Saul was converted by Jesus according to Acts chapter 9 and verse 6. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, key word, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I believe Saul at that very moment believed on Jesus. He confessed the lordship of Jesus and submitted to him. And by doing so, God gave him a wonderful thing called redemption. Redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sin. But there's a problem in the church. The problem is simple. We are people living somewhat of a lie. There's some that truly know Jesus Christ. They had an encounter with him. They were confronted. Their sin was confronted. 
and they were converted. But there's others that are living within the church on Sunday morning, sitting in the pews, that have not experienced this encounter. There's a head knowledge, but nothing happened in the heart. There's never, ever been the forgiveness of sin because there's never truly been repentance. There's never been redemption. Uh, Jordan, Tony's son, Pastor Tony's son, my nephew, he told me about a guy he worked with and he called him Redempton. I said, what? He said, yeah, his name's Redempton. I said, what does Redempton mean? Never heard of that name in my entire life. He goes, well, there's a story behind it. So his real name is Alex. And one night he made a bad decision. Him and his buddy got drunk. And his buddy wanted to be a a tattoo artist. And he decided that night to try it out on his friend, Alex. So Alex said, hey, I want a guy with a ski mask. And I want him to get some redemption. So he said, okay. So With a shaky hand, he decided to give his buddy a tattoo. And it looked like this. This is why it turned out. So it looks like the guy with the ski mask got hit with a baseball bat. And instead of it saying redemption, it said redempton. Because there was a a very important part left out. The I. So it was misspelled. So now this guy has a nickname for the rest of his life. Redempton. I know that's funny, but here's the facts. In our lives, I feel like in Christianity... We're living out something that's crucial. It's not the letter I to redemption. It's Jesus. There's people walking around, clear, pure of heart, and they know Jesus Christ. There's been redemption. (laughs) And then we got some that are just redempt on. They think they got it all together, but they're missing it. They're missing it. And they're going to hell from a church pew. Hey, there's a big difference between redemption and redempt on. And the difference is Jesus Christ, not the letter I. Let me put it this way, according to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 22. It's funny, that's funny. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? They're standing before God on judgment day. And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name did many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They never answered the call to know God. Now, they had the idea that they did because they prayed some random prayer. They went through the motions and they had a head knowledge. But they never had an encounter with Jesus that confronted their sin and converted their life. And they got redemption. Listen, it's going to be a sad day when we see people that thought they were right with God, that thought they were believers, go to hell. If there is no fruit in your life, there is no root in your life. And the root is Jesus Christ. I do not understand the people that live a lifestyle of sin. They're angry. They're bitter. They're always frustrated. Nobody likes them. They're, they're, they're the opposite of Jesus Christ. And they think, they think they're on the way to heaven. But let me tell you something. The fruit is evidence of Jesus Christ in your life. If you think you can only have one or two little fruits hanging onto your tree, let me tell you something. That is not true evidence of Jesus Christ. But the reason why we don't give our life to Christ and don't see it for what it is is because we have so much arrogancy and pride. We don't want to accept it. What will people say? What will people think? And then we stand before God on judgment day and we realize it's too late to answer the call. Before we can get into the second call, we have to understand the first call. And the call is to know God. And it is very defining. 
It is an encounter with Jesus that confronts our sin and converts our soul. But then it continues in Acts chapter 9, and we see the call to serve God. And he answered that call immediately after the call to know God. Here it is. Acts chapter 9, verse verse 8. And Saul arose from the earth. When his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand, the guys that were with him, and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. It changed the way Saul looked at life. When Saul chose to answer the call to serve God, it changed the way Saul looked at life. Everything was different. Well, obviously he was blind. Saul was a man of prestige. I mean, he was known. He was a, de- he was a defined man. A man that, that, that worked very diligently and hard to know and understand Scripture Saul trained for 18 years in some of the finest Jewish seminaries. He was a man that could speak Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and some believe even Latin. This is not a normal man. He was a Pharisee. Gamaliel was a man that was known within the Jewish community that was beyond the maturity, spiritually speaking, of those that studied the law of Judaism. And it was Saul, who eventually became Paul, that trained under this man. We're not talking about an average individual. We're talking about a man filled with pride and arrogancy and a Pharisee that thought he knew what was best. And when he gave his life to Christ, in order for him to serve God, to answer that call, Saul had to change the way he looked at his life. And that brought, was brought about by a humbling blindness. Before God, and he found himself being led by those that he once led himself. It's hard to serve God if you're not humble. You just can't. If you think you got all the answers, it's really difficult for you to be a servant to your wife, to your husband, to your kids. If you're one of those people that you never apologize for anything, you're never wrong for anything, well, it's probably because you got pride, arrogancy, and never been humbled. You say, Well, I'm a servant. I do this, this, and this. Well, nah, true servant sees others before he sees them himself. And here's the facts. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it echoes this in verse 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, called. If they answer the call, they have to humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. It starts with a humbling spirit. And so this call to serve that Paul answered caused him to look at his life differently. He was blinded, which caused a humbling spirit. And for three days, he was without sight. He'd have somebody else bring him food, help him get from point A to point B. And by being humbled, it changed him. The call to serve is a humbling call that puts God and others above yourself. You look at life differently. You look at your church differently. You look at your kids differently. You look at your spouse differently. You look at your ministry differently. You don't see it as just a routine. You don't see it as just something you have to do on Sunday morning. Are you all following me? You see those kids coming in for for junior church, FBC kids worship time. 
differently. You see them as little souls that need Jesus Christ. You walk the hallways soul conscious of people's needs and problems. You know why the church is broken today? It's not necessarily just because of sin. It's because one or two people are bearing all the burdens. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 that we're to bear one another's burdens. But we have just a few people bearing all the burdens and they're carrying this load around and they're about to spiritually break. And they're saying, I want to help you and I want to help you and I want to help you. And then we got the other people walking around going, let me tell you my problems. Let me tell you my needs. Pray for me, pray for me, pray for me and me only. Yeah. And everybody else is suffering. Because you're not serving. To answer the call to serve will change the way you look at life just like it changed Saul's way of he's, him looking at life. Your focus changes from the outside to the inside. We are self-consumed generation. We, we're demanding immediate gratification. We want it now. And everybody's all upset about COVID because you go to McDonald's. You wait 15 minutes in line because they don't have enough employees. I want my double cheeseburger and I want it now. Serve me. I was a servant when I was a kid. I would sit on the couch and my dad would say, change the channel. Because we had that junky TV where you turn the knob. I sound ancient right now, right? It was like click, click, click. And it didn't end there because when you finally got to the channel he wanted and serving him, he's like, now adjust the antenna. And you're moving the antenna around. How many have no idea what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. And then he's like, all right, that ain't working. Go in the kitchen and get some tinfoil. You know he's crossed the line when he wants me to get his tinfoil to put on the antenna to get him some reception. My dad was 10 times worse than that. Our antenna was on top of the house. I'm not kidding. My dad like, you need to get up there on top of the house and adjust that antenna. Climb up there and adjust the antenna. You know why? Because I wanted to serve my dad. I wanted to be a servant. I thought about his needs before my needs. Man, if we could get to that point within the churches, it would change America. If we could call, if we'd answer the call to serve, it would change the world. Because we would no longer see ourselves, we'd start seeing everybody else. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called, key word there, unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. In other words, don't, don't think just because you have liberty in Christ, you can live like Satan, okay? You can live like the world and do as you please. No, it don't work that way. And he said, but by love serve one another. You as a believer are called to love and serve one another, to look past yourself, to bear one another's burdens. That's what you're called to do. Now it's time for you to answer. And because he did answer that call, everything else changed too. It, it, it didn't just change the way Saul looked at life. It changed Saul's purpose in life. It changed the purpose that Saul had in life. You see, Saul was commissioned by the high priest that was corrupted by this traditional idea. And they were stuck in a rut of doing it their way instead of God's way. And so what happens here is he created a reputation for himself before it became Paul, before he gave his life to Christ. He was known for this tyrant, this guy that forced people to believe what he believed. And he would imprison them unless they denied their ways and went his way. And so Paul started changing. And so God confronts a man, one of the disciples, further on in Acts chapter 
9, I think it's in verse 10, we start to see this conversation takes place. This man got a call, just like Paul, Ananias. And this disciple was confronted by God to do something. Something he wasn't comfortable with. See, he was to lay hands on Saul, pray over him so Saul could get his eyesight back. And Ananias said, whoa, wait, wait. I know you're God and you know all things. You're omnipresent and all that other stuff. But have you heard? Have you heard about Saul? He's the one that's imprisoning people if they call on you? Yeah. God, think about this. You want me to give this guy eyesight? He has a reputation. His purpose, keyword there, purpose is to serve himself and the high priest. Not you. But God says, wait, 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 wait. In verse 15, he says, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel. Just go and do what I said. He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Stop trying to figure it out. I've called him to serve me. I don't care what his purpose was before. His purpose changed now. It's different. Because when you answer the call that God has put on you to serve, everything changes in the way you look at life, but also your purpose in life is different. So, in order to fulfill your calling, to answer the call to serve, there has to be a purpose. Listen, the piano has no purpose without a tune. No. Hey, a car has no purpose without movement. A servant has no purpose unless he's serving within the church. You following me? So what is your purpose? You're called to do something great for God. And get this, this is amazing. Your call is a customized purpose that God has given you, specifically for you. All you have to do is answer it. There's something you can do that nobody else can do, just like Paul. Paul was called to declare Jesus to the Gentiles and kings. Not just anybody can stand before kings. This was a calling that he had on his life. You're part of the body of Christ. You have a specific duty within the body to do something great for God. It's unique and it's different, but you have to accept that call and fulfill it, according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. Because there's one body and one spirit, and we're all called for the hope of your calling. What is the hope? Jesus Christ. We're all to fulfill this calling. And it's very specific according to the Bible in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You're a particular member. You're an individual. When I, when I spoke about four weeks ago on the church and falling in love with the church, I explained that you are a part of that body. God, he's the head of the church. You're the body. And you are very important in that body. You have a specific job to fulfill in the body. Let's move on. Because I find later on in scripture in chapter 9 and verse 18. This encounter with this disciple Ananias. And he, will, he comes to a, a street called Straight. That's not by chance. And meets Saul lays hands on Saul, and the Bible says that his eyes were able to see again. Why? Because the scales fell off. Because the purpose in a Christian's life should be clear, understandable. And when you answer the call to serve God, it changes the way you look at life. It, it, it literally changes your purpose you have in life like it did for Saul. And there's clarity in life. Some of you are walking in a fog every single day of your life because there's no clarity 
Are you all with me? You need some clarity. And when you get that clarity and fulfill your purpose, then you can take the next step and answer the call to declare God, which is in the very next portion of Scripture. Saul answered the call to declare God, and Saul's message changed because of it. He was no longer in denial of saying this is, not, this is not true. He's saying this is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And in verse 20 of Acts chapter 9, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. People are looking for something to believe in. They're not to believe in traditions and religion. They were meant to believe in the truth, the truth of God. His son, Jesus, that he lived, he died, and rose again. And it is our responsibility to declare the call to everybody. To call out to people and say, this is the answer. This is what you're to believe in. This is what you should accept. And the only way you can do that is to answer the call to declare God. And the message has to be clear. His message was not the message of denial. It was the, the acceptance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The very message that he once did deny, he wouldn't accept. Declaring God must be clear. Let me make this clear for you. You cannot be ignorant when it comes to the gospel. Stop making excuses when it comes to declaring the truth. Say, so, well, that's just not who I am. Well, who are you? Are you comfortable talking about sports? Are you, talk, are you comfortable talking about your hobbies? What are you comfortable talking about? Because it should be natural for the believer to answer the call, to declare God, and tell others the message. It became very comfortable for Paul, who was once Saul, to declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It was contrary to everything he used to teach and preach. But now it's different. His message changed. I believe in this room, if we don't change our message, we're going to miss our opportunity to give people the truth. So what does that mean? It means this. You have to be more comfortable talking about Jesus than anything else in life. You say, whoa, I'm not a people person. I'm not a social bug. That's not me. It needs to become you. And it needs to be in such a way that it's clear and understandable and you're not ignorant when it comes to the gospel. When it comes to answering the call to declare Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy says it this way. In verse 15 of chapter 2. Study the show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You are responsible to rightly divide the word of truth. If you're still making excuses for not telling people about Jesus Christ. Then you are declining the call of Jesus. To declare his name. If you do that, then you're missing out on an opportunity to change people's lives. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know what that means? Always be ready to give your story. Everybody has a story to tell. You have a story. I have a story. We all have a story. What is that story? The story is how... My life was before Christ. And what it looks like now that I've accepted Christ. It's changed me. I've answered the call to declare God. I didn't deny it or decline it. I want people to know my story. People need to know your story. 
When Saul became Paul and his name was changed and began to declare God, son, Jesus, and tell the story, he would keep on giving the account of how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. That encounter was incredible, right? And he said this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not the same. The guy that I used to reject named Jesus, I believe in him. And because he's changed my life, he can change yours. Saul's method changed as well. I mean, his message was now declaring Jesus, but his method changed. He wasn't hateful. For a matter of fact, according to the very next portion of Scripture, Acts chapter 9, verse 21, but all that heard him were amazed. They were like, who is this guy? What's going on? This is crazy. Isn't this Saul that denied Jesus? No, he's not the same man. He's not aggressive and angry. He's different. Yeah. I was in Pensacola, Florida for vacation. Me and Christian were fishing. And we don't, we're bass fishermen. We don't usually go to the ocean to fish. But we were trying to learn how, right? And so this is my son on the dock. And we were fishing that night and we couldn't catch anything. Couldn't catch anything. Our method was not working. The next day I saw on that same dock this guy and he came out with this, a net. And I watched him from my window because he took that net and he opened it up and he cast it out. And then he gently pulled it in. Of course, it was a lot better than this one. And within that net was multiple fish. None of them were bleeding. Every time I fished, the poor fish loses an eyeball. None of, them, none of them were hurt. It was so relaxing to watch him do that. Like, that's too easy. We fished all night and caught nothing. That's what it felt like saying. Like the disciples. What makes your method so good? I mean, what's going on here? Why, why, why can't we pull in the fish like you are? Because the method is different. Jesus' method of reaching people, declaring him, is different. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, the Bible says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The disciples' method of fishing was with a net. They'd cast it out and pull them in. And cast it out and pull them in. There's a difference between using Satan's method and God's method. Or Jesus' method. And the difference is this, speaking the truth in love. Truth is transparent and clear. There's no deception. You don't have to be aggressive. Saul's method no longer was aggressive. It was no longer abrasive. It was no longer hateful. Let me tell you what happens. Most of us are kind of like me and Christian's method. We were fishing with a lure. And every time we cast that lure out, we'd wait. And I'd play with that lure a little bit. I wanted to deceive that fish. Mm -hmm. Something bite on there. Oh, I just pull it a little bit. Eventually they're gonna bite. I'm gonna hook them. I have something attractive for them to look at. Whew. 
shiny. You know, if we're not careful, we'll, 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 in, we'll um, practice the same methods of Satan reaching people. You say, no, this one, two, three, repeat after me. You don't want to go to hell, do you? No, we'll just say this prayer. One, two, three, repeat after me. Bam, in heaven. It's easy as that. Faith is easy, but let me tell you something. If you leave out repentance and conviction, you're only giving them the head knowledge and there's nothing going on in the heart. It's like throwing out a lure, just like Satan. You might hook a fish, but that doesn't mean you're doing it the right way. And it doesn't mean they're actually going to go to heaven when they die. Because just because they went through the motions, just because they said a prayer, doesn't mean you declared God and answered the call to do the method his way. You did it your way. Amen, Are you all following me? He said, well, this, this just seems better. This is the way I've always done it. I just shoot people straight. I tell them the truth in love, but I'm hard. Hard truth. Truth hurts sometimes. Homosexual is going to go to hell. I just tell them straight out. Listen, we serve a God that loves and is compassionate. He's not hooking people with a, with a lure. He's pulling them in. You know why? Because the Bible says it simply this way. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. You just lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Give your story. Speak the truth in love. Stop getting hung up on dumb things. You hear me? Listen, church, stop getting hung up on stupid things that don't matter. You understand? Well, they don't look this way. They ought to look this way when they come to church. They ought to wear a suit and tie. Ain't nowhere in the word of God there's a suit and tie. Never will find it. Never will find it. So stop endorsing it. Amen? Come on now. The Pharisees endorse all kinds of garments, and they love their garments, but they bypassed the truth for tradition. Come on now. I don't need something shiny. I need love. I need compassion. I need a way to pull people in, multiple people, so they hear the truth and love. Where are you at? Are you ready to answer the call? Are you ready to see it change? Because when you answer the call to declare God, the message changes and your method changes. I'm gonna tell you something. I've been to some restaurants and they know where I go to church. And because I'm one of the pastors, they always let me know if there was somebody from our church that goes there and they're rude. It's true. And then they name them, they describe them because they're regulars. Yeah. They love to leave a track. Their method is leaving a track. But their attitude stinks. And they're mean. And they're rude. Because they get their tea this way. And it needs to be done in this time. You're no different than the methods of Satan. Come on now. That's not truth and love. Just because you left the truth on the table doesn't mean you left them with love. Are we getting real now? Come on now. We're getting real, right? I ain't got time for garbage, man. The whole world's going to hell and we've all gone crazy and we're worried about the dumbest things. Don't waste my time. I want truth. I want to preach it in love. I'm not going to compromise the fundamentals of the faith. We need to stay on track because the world is looking at something that isn't truth and they're latching onto it. They're getting hooked because the world's doing a lot better showing love than we are, but their love isn't the foundation of Jesus Christ. No, love is love to them. That means whatever we come up, we'll believe. But the foundation of love is God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
I want to give them something worth believing in. I want to compassionately pull them in and show them Christ. Are you ready to answer the call?